Revelation chapter 1, which we just started. The revelation of Jesus Christ, faithful witness, firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the living one, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, the Lamb, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Faithful and true. Rider of the white horse. The the word of God. The Lord God of the holy prophets. The beginning and the end. The bright and morning star. I would say it is safe to say that the book of Revelation is all about Jesus Christ. Those are names that are found in one book of Jesus. At least 28 names are here in this book. And we see several of them today. It tells exactly who He is, what He's about, what He's done. Names mean something. The names of Christ. So anyway, we are here to see this Christ through the Word of God, aren't we? Revelation is that. It reveals Him. We said it last week. Revelation means to uncover, to unveil, to make Him be seen. And that's really what it is. It's not the revelation of John. He wrote the book. He penned it. But it's really coming from God and it's showing the person of Christ from Revelation 1 through chapter 22. That's our focus. And it's majestic. The text that we're in today is marvelous, magnificent, wonderful. It is truly amazing. Just what we're going to see today should be a tremendous blessing because that's really what we're going to focus on. The blessing that the triune God gives His people. We said last week this uh, it's a tremendous amount of prophecies and symbols in the book of Revelation. And sometimes it's quite confusing. We would all probably say it's hard to understand some places. But honestly, most of it we can understand. It is meant to be understood where we saw last week to all those who read this and hear it and then heed to these things will be blessed. So you guys ready for a blessing today? And that's what we're going to key in on is the blessing from the Trinity. I want to be blessed. You just said you did too. Well, anytime you open the Word of God, it is there. But it is truly exhilarating as we look at it today. So... What we say is we're going to uncover some things that we have not seen before probably. So what we're going to do each Sunday that we're here. And praise the Lord we have a blessing of being able to meet here freely and proclaim the Word of God in the name of Jesus Christ. And not be afraid. Right? 
So, what a blessing that is. We get a great view of Christ here. The whole Bible is about Christ. Revelation is about Christ. On steroids, the sketch here that John gives us in Revelation 1 through 22 is that it's no longer Messiah's life on earth like we went through in the book of Luke. It was kind of amazing how we went from Luke to Revelation. Didn't have that in mind. And then as we see Him ascended in Luke, we see Him ascended in the heavens in Revelation for the most part. And then there will be the new heavens and the new earth. Of course, we know He returns, but uh, you can imagine that uh, we're seeing Him in the heavens as we look at this, this book here. This morning... We will look at this abundant blessing from God. The blessings went to the seven churches, but it also extends throughout the church age all the way up to 2020 and right here to our church, Grace Community Church. He's going to give us blessings. And we'll look at here and see what these blessings are. We will end with an outburst of praise and exaltation. And as far as the Word here says this, so we're going to do this morning, this section that we're at, it's very important. It is a real impressive cameo, really, of the real emperor of the whole earth. The true emperor is right here. The true king He's not recognized in our world today. People don't even want to acknowledge that He even exists. And if He does, they don't care about Him as a whole. Most do not receive Him. We recognize Him. We know He's King. He's not now visibly ruling, but He is providentially ruling everything that's going on. It's good to know. We are people not of fear at all, are we? There's nothing to fear. Matter of fact, we rest in His hands. That's why Revelation is going to be such a blessing. As He tells what's going on, it's frightful to a lot of people. No need to be frightful unless you need Jesus Christ. Then you should be fearing the Lord. All should have fear Him, but sinners of all things, whenever they see these things out of Revelation should be shaken and desire to have their sins forgiven, to repent. So, we, in this section, are going to read who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. That's what He's going to do. When we look at it that way, we will turn first to who He is. So let's read from the text. Revelation 1 Verses 4 through 8, yeah, let's all stand in uh, honor of God's Word. This is the Word of the Lord, folks. This is Him speaking to us. This is a letter. This is an epistle, a letter that is a love letter sent to His children. He's telling us how much He loves us. And He wants us to know Him. You know what a relationship is? It's knowing somebody. Let's don't take the Word of God flippantly. Let's honor. Here we go. Verse 4. 
John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before His throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To Him who loves us and released us from our sins by His blood. And He has made us to be a kingdom priest to His God and Father. To Him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see Him. Even those who pierced Him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over Him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Let's pray. Father, great God, You truly are awesome. We've just seen how awesome You are in just reading a few verses. It is beyond our imagination how great You are. We're here to adore Your splendid revelation of Jesus Christ. The beauty that we want to sink into our hearts this morning. Lord, by by the Spirit of God, help it make it an impress upon us and change our lives even more. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. We uh, started last week in the first three verses had an introduction to the book. Now we delve into it. It's really the greetings that is here. Greetings to the seven churches. Greetings to all of you. So he starts out, John, he's the penman, he's writing this down, he's on the Isle of Patmos, being persecuted. To the seven churches that are in Asia. Churches are in Asia Minor, it would be like where Turkey would be, it would be like uh, where Ephesus is at, and other cities that would be kind of like capital cities in a sense, They they played major cities or... Maybe uh, like areas where that, you know, they're, they're major. And so we look and see in verse 11 what cities they are. Write in a book that you see and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. John is going to write letters to each one of them. Chapters 2 and 3, we'll get the details about those cities. So now we're going to sign off and come back to this greeting and the, and the great blessing that is being done. He says, Grace to you and peace. Those are two words that we constantly see throughout the New Testament. Paul uses them frequently, doesn't he? 
grace to you. You'll notice whenever I send an email out to you, I will frequently say grace to you. That is saying that, remember, you live by grace. You were saved by grace and you live by grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is a gift from God that you did not earn. You did not do anything to earn salvation because there is nothing good in you to do that. You can't offer Him even what you think is the best of you because even that is sinful. Except you be in Christ. And so grace is a key term here. But remember, who is John writing to? These seven churches. Did you know they were under persecution? The church was under heavy persecution. Keep that in mind all the way throughout Revelation here. Because not only will it be in the future, but it happened back at that time in the early days and they had Domitian reigning and ruling over them. They weren't their own. So uh, it gives a Trinitarian benediction here. You've probably looked at it read it, you see that it's grace to you and peace. I'll get back to that moment. But it's from Him. It's from God the Father. It's from the Holy Spirit. It's from Jesus Christ. And you're getting a blessing. He starts off with grace and peace. They needed grace. If you were being persecuted, wouldn't you need grace? My grace is sufficient for you says in Philippians. We derive our strength from this free gift of God. How do we live in this life in this evil, chaotic world? By the grace of God. Grace and peace. He's reminding them, you know, I think of grace it could be a word that would be used um, by Greeks in a way. Um, charis is the word, but it wasn't like what we know what grace is. Grace is from God. But he gives them there that uh, this is written in Greek, but also he uses a word, irones, which is a Greek word for peace. Grace and peace. And we would normally say, oh, this is a neat letter, grace and peace, boom, let's see what he's talking about here, right? But if you don't understand those two words, then none of this is going to matter. They're not going to make sense. But if you understand His grace and peace, this is to us today too. We need it. We need it. Badly. Shalom would be the Hebrew word. Shalom. Now in the Greek it's Irenaeus. Shalom. Hebrew people. The Jewish people would know. He brings together here both Jews and Gentiles. That's the way they would say hi and bye. Shalom. Jerusalem. The word shalom is in that city. Salem. Shalom. He gives us grace to face this world. The face, the grace here is also about suffering, sorrow, grief, even death for the cause of Christ. Persecuted Christians. They needed grace. And in the age that we live in today, we need grace. Those are two commodities that are essential. Grace and peace. You might be going through some tough times. You need grace and peace, don't you? It says in Philippians that in all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, 
make our request made known unto God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will rule our hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. We take great comfort in that verse, don't we? Do you get quite encouraged in that? The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will rule our hearts. Should control our thinking, shouldn't it? The letter is from a persecuted Christian. This is John. He's being persecuted. He needs grace and peace. He passes it on as it comes from the Trinity. He says, I want to send you a blessing. I want to give you hope, grace and peace. God the Father is sending you a blessing. God the Holy Spirit is sending you a blessing. God the Son of God is sending you a blessing. So the source of all blessing, as we start out here, grace and peace from Him. He's the source. That's where grace comes from. God Himself. John is the penman. But God Almighty is desiring us to realize the grace that He gives us. The peace. And then it says, who is and who was, who is and who is to come. That's the eternal God. The eternal God. He's past. He's present. He's future. We don't understand that with our minds, do we? Eternity. We cannot understand that He is in dimensions that we could never imagine. He's timeless. These next set of verses see God in time dimensions, though He's timeless, because that's the only way that we can understand Him. Past, present, future. He's eternal. He was, He is. He is to come. Look at the past. Look at the present. Look at the future. Look at Revelation 1.19, the outline of this book. Therefore, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. What do you have there? The outline of Revelation. So I says, hey, do you understand Revelation? You can say, I can give you an outline right now. Past, present, future. I just gave it to you. That means it's a futuristic book. Yes, it is. Like I said last week, there are a lot of people who deny that and say everything has already been done. Everything. Well, according to what I read in here, that's not true at all. There are some things that have been passed. There are some things that are in the present right now. But most of it is in the future. That helps us. That's the outline of the book. John gave that to us. Let's look a moment. We get one eight. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come. The Almighty. What do we have there? Who is, who was, who is to come. Did we see that in verse 4? Yes, we did. Let's move on through Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. Quite a common theme here. 
And the four living creatures, each of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within day and night. They do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Chapter 11, verse 17. This is the eternal God. We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. There it's in the sense of there's not a future tense because He's there. He says you were and you are, right? Is that what He's saying? Go to uh, chapter 16, verse 5. This will be the last one we look at. For this phrase here. And I heard the angel of the water saying, Righteous are you who are who are and who were. You are, you were. This again, the future tense is being taken. It's like he's taking kingship over all the earth. Oh holy one, because you judged these things. So past, present, future, a couple of verses. Present, future. That covers that. Let's go in now to the Seventh spirits. This is a triune blessing. It's coming from each person of the Trinity. Do we believe in the Trinity? Yes, we do. We see it right here, don't we? We see the Trinity there. Okay, so he says, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. What's happening? Well, don't forget, this is all a blessing. It's coming to the churches. Seven churches, churches throughout history, and to us right here today. Grace and peace to you from the Father. He wants to know you're blessed. He wants to know you're graced and you have peace from Him. The next one is Spirit. Uh, Seven spirits. That's interesting. Seven. In Revelation, what number do you continue to see throughout all chapters? Seven is complete. It's perfect. It is the idea of fullness. The Holy Spirit in all His fullness, His completeness, His perfection. So when we see the sevens throughout, it will have to do with that idea. Seven aspects of the Spirit. The seven spirits, you say, I always thought there was one. Holy Spirit, right? What is this seven spirits? Turn to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. And we'll go to another text and we should be able to figure this out. You want to get this? Yeah, let's get it. This is really interesting here, this 11, 2 of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord. There's one. The Spirit of the Lord, or Yahweh, or Jehovah if you may, will rest on Him. Speaking of the Messiah, Him is the Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord is going to rest on Christ. There's one. The Spirit of wisdom. How many is that? That's two. And understanding. Three. The Spirit of counsel. Four. And strength. Five. The Spirit of knowledge. Six and the fear of the Lord, seven. 
Holy Spirit is in His fullness. We're, we're talking about wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, fear of the Lord, and He's coming from the Spirit of the Lord. And He is God. He operates in all of these areas, this kind of power and knowledge and wisdom and, and such. Well, let's go to another Old Testament text that speaks of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, I thought He didn't come until Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has always been around. He's eternal. He is God. He's all throughout the Old Testament. Let's go to one in Zechariah chapter 4. You know, this is bothering me. Is that better? Yeah, it's much better. It's kind of deafening. Zechariah 4, I'm not going to read all the verses here in this chapter, but this is where you have the golden lampstand, olive trees. He said, oh no, more symbols. It's beautiful. And we who studied Zechariah back months ago, was it about a year ago? It might have been. We had a great study on this. We love this. And then chapter 5. I mean, all sorts of symbols. I mean, Zechariah has a lot to do with Revelation. As does Daniel. As does Isaiah. Jeremiah. Ezekiel. Right? Uh, go back to Genesis. I mean, really. it's You want to see the fulfillment of what's in the Old Testament. Look in the New Testament. And you'll see a lot of that now being described in the New Testament that makes the Old Testament now understandable. Quickly, let's go to verse 1. The angel who was speaking with me returned and roused me as a man who is awakened from his sleep. He said to me, what do you see? And I said, I see and behold, a lampstand, all of gold with its bowl on the top of it and its seven lamps on it with seven sprouts belonging to each of the lamps which are on the top of it. And then the two olive trees and uh, verse 4, Zechariah, you know, what you have here is the word here that uh, says, What are these, my Lord? Uh, the angel speaks. He says, Don't you know what these are? Don't you get it? You know. And um, verse, uh, I think it's in verse 6, before verse 7, just before verse 7, but my spirit. Not by might, nor by power, but by spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And then drop on down to verse 8. Also the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. The temple is being rebuilt. And his hands will finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Here we go. For who has despised the day of small things? But these seven... What did we say a while ago? There's a lampstand with seven lamps on it. These seven will be glad when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These are the eyes of the Lord which range to and fro throughout the earth. Seven spirits, seven eyes, seven golden lampstands. We're talking about fullness. Now go to Revelation 5, 6. We're talking about spirits. 
And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. What is the meaning of the seven spirits? It's the Holy Spirit in all His fullness. The seven eyes, the seven spirits of God. And so that's what we have here. The Spirit in all His glory, His fullness. He sends us grace and peace. So God the Father sends you grace and peace. He says, be blessed. The Holy Spirit sends you grace and peace. He says, be blessed. That's double blessing there. Well, we got a Trinity blessing, don't we? The theme of this book is who? Jesus Christ. Who is God also. What a glorious, magnificent, marvelous, majestic description here. It's absolutely thrilling. And from Jesus Christ, there in verse 5, By the way, the seven spirits are before the throne. And from Jesus Christ, I'll stop there. This is the theme. We're going to get a lot more description here of Christ than we did the first two persons of the Trinity. Does that mean He's more important? No, God is God. But I will say, Since the theme is Jesus Christ and it's revealing Him, uncovering Him, unveiling Him in all of His glory, we're going to feature on Him now from the rest of the, to the rest of the end of this section. Are you ready? Okay, that's saying, wake up, listen to this. Behold, right? And for Jesus Christ, faithful witness. Jesus Christ is a faithful witness. He always speaks the truth. A witness does what? He testifies. He witnesses or testifies to what he has seen, what he's heard, what he's felt. He testifies that. He is the faithful witness. He is witnessing the truth of God. He witnesses to mankind... And He came here to do the Father's will. He's testifying of God. That's where it all starts, doesn't it? He gives the Gospel. He's a faithful witness of that. Christ always speaks the truth, never deviates from the truth. Turn on ABC, NBC, MSNBC, just whatever they all are. Turn them on and you will get lie after lie after lie after lie. I can't stand it. I don't even watch it. I can't. And every time I hear it, even accidentally, I go, oh, you know, I just have to cover my ears because I know it's another lie that is coming. Does that make you angry? Well, if it's a righteous anger, it's okay. It's for the Lord Jesus Christ, right? I don't try to get hung up in all that. But at the same time, you have to be aware of what's going on and then realize that God has the remedy 
to all of this stupid stuff that's happening. It gets more stupider. That's not even a word, but I'll use it. It wasn't in my notes. Sorry about that. Sometimes I get in trouble when I start running off my notes. I don't know. I try to stay with it because otherwise I could just stay up here and I'd probably just start rambling. So, and that's probably what it seems like right now. But what are we on? Okay, God the Father, God the Son, God and the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is giving us a blessing, but here's who He is. He's the faithful witness, bearing witness of God. Does that help now? Okay, secondly, the firstborn of the dead. Now that might be needed to be explained a little bit because you can say, wait a minute, didn't Jesus raise Jairus' daughter from the dead? Oh, how about Lazarus? He raised him from the dead, right? And then there was another one raised, Nain, the son of Nain. Jesus did that. There might have been more, but that's three we know of. And he'd say, well, weren't they really the firstborn before he was raised? Well, the thing is, they die again. And he is the one who raised to die no more in the very power of an endless life. It's a promise to all of his will raise as resurrected for eternity also. Those ones that he raised, believe me, I would say they are believers and they too will have glorified bodies too. But he is the firstborn of the dead. The word firstborn is not so much in mathematics, using a number there like first, you know, I'm first, you're second, you know, you're last. But first is the word prototokos. Pro being like first. Uh, only this is dealing with inheritance. This is dealing with preeminence. In a book of Colossians, it describes very aptly who Christ is. He is the firstborn, the preeminent one. A lot of cults will say, see, he was born. He really was not eternal because he had to be born. Uh, he was born in the human flesh, we know that, but if we're talking about the third, or second person of the Trinity here, this is about the doctrine of the resurrection. He's the firstborn or the preeminent among the dead ones who will rise too. He's firstborn. If there's first, what does that mean? There's second, third, fourth, fifth, right on down. There will be other people that will rise from the dead. The position of resurrection. Look in Psalm 89, 27. Psalm 89, 27. I also shall make him my firstborn. Speaking of the Messiah, because it says the highest of the kings of the earth. The what would be equivalent to Prototokos, firstborn. God the Father is going to make the Son the most preeminent of all. God. 
1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. What are we doing? In case you just lost what we were doing. Talking about Christ, the faithful witness, and the firstborn of the dead. We look at other verses and it supports what we're saying. It's not saying, I just say it and then say it, want you to believe it. Then, you know, it could be true, may not. But if we go to these verses, what do they do? They support what has already been said. And now it's making it clear. And that's what we're going to do throughout Revelation. When we make a statement, we are going to try to make it as accurate as we possibly can. And we're going to use other verses to support it. So, 1 Corinthians 15.20 is about the what? The resurrection. Verse 20 says, says, But now Christ has been raised from the dead. Firstborn of the dead, right? The first fruits of those who are asleep or their bodies are dead in the grave. He's the first fruits. That was a festival. You would have the Passover season, you know, unleavened bread, Passover, and then first fruits, which was on resurrection day. He's the fulfillment of the unleavened bread. He's the fulfillment of Passover. He's the Passover lamb. And He is the fulfillment in resurrecting on the first day of the week the first fruits. We are after Him. The firstborn of the dead who are believers. Does that help now make sense? Let's go to the next one. What do we have so far? What do we have? We have... From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. We're breaking this down. We're truly, really trying to make it easy. Even though it sounds hard right now, right? We're breaking every phrase down. The ruler of the kings of the earth. You say, I know all these. Let's just move on. I want to get into the good part where it starts in chapter 4. <laughs> Might be a while. Hang on. But we'll probably go a little bit faster than what I'm doing today and what I did last week. We'll, we'll probably take bigger chunks. Otherwise, we could be in Revelation for... Uh, we may not even be living. <laughs> it could be decades. We're not going to do that. We could take a jet tour through the book of Revelation and do it in one week. But I think you would feel cheated. So we're going to get this at least introduced. This will help us and throughout the rest of the book to understand. It's focused on Christ. Uh, faithful witness, firstborn of the dead, ruler of the kings of the earth. That's the doctrine of divine sovereignty. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Who is John writing to? Persecuted church. And he's saying that he is a faithful witness to the truth. You have the truth. The truth will set you free. You have the firstborn of the dead in that he resurrected. You see the life of Christ. Of course, we know He died. The firstborn of the dead, they're right. And now, 
you know what we're what we're seeing, folks? What is before, like what was, which is the past, right? The faithful witness who was here on earth giving the gospel. You have the present in the firstborn of the dead, and he resurrected and ascended, which we studied in Luke about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, two weeks. And then you see him as the ruler of the kings of the earth. Which when he comes back, he'll be called King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Amen. Lord of Lords, King of Kings. Absolute sovereignty over all the kings. Don't you love that? You have a past, present, future right there in those, but it's also wrapped up in now. He's eternal. It's a good way for us to see it, though, isn't it? Kind of broken down. Here's what he was. Here's what he is now. He's raised from the dead. And he'll be coming back as the Lord of Lords, King of Kings. Okay, now, let's go through a few of these. Revelation 19.16 It's one we all love. And on His robe and on His thigh He has a name written. Everybody, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. All in capital letters, aren't they? When He comes back, everybody's going to know who He is. Whether they're believers or not, they're going to know who this one is. Saints are coming back with him. Daniel chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. Interesting. Babylon had a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, quite a ruler of the people. Verse 19, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. For wisdom and power belong to Him. It is He who changes the times and the epics. Things are changing, folks. It won't be the way it used to be. God's in charge of this. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. Who are those folks? Believers. You have wisdom of knowing what's going on, don't you? You've settled your peace. You have grace. I love it. Okay, that was Daniel 2, 20 and 21. Now turn to chapter 4. Who was king at this time? The great Nebuchadnezzar. While Daniel was actually helping serve. Well, you see, Nebuchadnezzar was brought real low. To the point of where he was out in the fields eating grass. He went crazy. He went nuts. You know what? (laughs) probably shouldn't say this, but there are a lot of people. Pretty close to that. Saying things that are insane. Unbelievable. whole Democratic Party's done that. I could say that with with, with fact. I 
we could just turn on TV real quick, turn it on the right kind of stations, or go to the right internet spot, and it will show you exactly the things they say, right? Now, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of Heaven, for all His works are true, and His ways just, and He is able to humble those who walk in pride. That was Him. He thought He was the greatest man on earth. He thought He was a God. He thought He was the gift to mankind. And God said, i got a gift for you. <laughs> for seven years, He's out in the field. And then God raises Him back up. And look at the praise. I can't believe this man who was wicked like he was. I praise, I exalt, I honor the King of who? Of where? Of heaven. The king above all. And his works are true. And his ways are just. He humbles those who walk in pride like me, he's saying. That's us too. He humbles us. You know what? That's the ruler of the earth. I've got a lot of other scriptures there. We'll we'll move ahead. We've got a part two coming up. Faithful witness, right? Firstborn. And he is a man in the glory at the right hand of God. A mediator for us. We read this morning about the mediator. We confess that, right? He's a mediator. He's mediating for us. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He prays for us. The Holy Spirit prays for us. The mediator. So he's coming again as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Back to Revelation 1. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth, right? Okay, now. This is great. This is a... It's almost like a song. It's a praise. It's a doxology. You know what doxa means? Glory. Heavy weight. Emphasis on His glory here. And, and this is a doxology of praise. And we'll come to that. It, you know, It concludes with the Amen uh, at the end of verse 6. Dominion forever and ever. Look what he says here, folks. We've got the blessing from the Father, from the Son, from the Holy Spirit, right? We see who that Son is. And now he says, to Him who loves us, the King of the universe, loves us. That is the most simple. Everybody can understand that. Little kids understand Jesus loves me. But how well do we really know it? Are you at ease and resting in the hands of Christ? It's because He loves us. Is it any wonder that John here just burst into a doxology of praise? It's wonderful to have a spirit like what John here is to understand and spontaneously burst out into this kind of praise that he has. To him who loves us, 
That's what he starts off with. Incidentally, this loves is continuous action in the original language. Some of your translations might have to he loved us. But it is loves. He's loving us now. He loved us before. He will love us always, forever and ever, eternally. Maybe He will love us even more. No, He can't. He loves us with the peak. The most love that He ever could. It's never changed. It's not up and down. Our love for people can go up and down, depending on their performance. Don't you like that kind of love? Even when you fail, when you have sinned against the Holy God, you are guilty and you know it, you hate it. You confess your sin. Do you know what? His love has always been there the same. It didn't change. He loves us. It's, and then it says, and I could go on and on about the love of God. We've got to move on. And He released us from our sins by His blood. Released actually is probably the most accurate translation of this because it has the Greek word luo, which means to be loosed. We are loosed from our sins. Our, our bonds have been broken. Forgiven. Released us from our sins by His blood. They go together. Washed away. You might have that in your translation. He washed away our sins. You can think of a, a, a hymns all through here. All sorts of songs. What can wash away our sin? There we go. We could just burst out in praise right now, couldn't we? It's a letter from a loving, life-giving Lord. Uh, chapter 5, verse 9. How about the blood of Jesus? Look at this. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Your blood. The, the violent death that He had. It bought our salvation. 7.14 And I said to him, My Lord, you know, and he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Washing and blood. The blood cleanses. It actually washes, stains away. This blood does. Chapter 12, verse 11. Repeatedly, Christ is everywhere in this book. And they overcame Him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony and they did not love their life, even faced with death. They were willing to give up their lives because they were washed in the blood of the Lamb. Washed away our sin. Well, that's easy to understand, right? Release us from our sins by His blood. And He has made us to be a kingdom priest to His God and Father. This, this is just loaded. This text is so loaded. And I was thinking originally of going from verse 4 through the end of the chapter today. That lasted one day. And I said, that can't happen. I'm trying to go through this a little quicker. You have to be patient with me. We'll get there. Will you guys stay with me? Amen. All right. Where are we at? <laughs> okay, I take a breath there because this is overwhelming. He loves us. 
He washed our sin. As far as the east is from the west, the sin has been cast away from us. And He makes us a kingdom of priests. We are priests. This is the doctrine of the uh, priesthood of the believer. Doesn't mean you can do anything you want. And uh, I was led to believe... Well, I didn't believe it, but uh, the church that I was in taught that so much back in the 80s. Oh, it's the priesthood of the believer. You can believe whatever you want to believe. They didn't believe in a lot of things that we're talking about today. Incidentally, they came from San Francisco... Whatever that means. Are there Christians in San Francisco? Yes, there are. Probably not too many. <laughs> a remnant. They're probably a remnant. Just like in Jeff City, there's probably not that many. What do you mean by that? I don't know. Jesus said, few there be that find it. There's going to be millions and millions in heaven, I can tell you that. Right? But that means that most people will not believe in this glorious Christ that we're reading about today. We've got this news to tell them about who He is. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He should be saved. right? So, in this praise now, loves us, washed away the sin, made us a kingdom of priests. Look in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Oh, we have to move on. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. So loaded. 2.5 says... Um, You also as living stones. You're a temple that's being built. You're a stone in that temple. Are being built up as a spiritual house. Get that? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. For a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. When I discovered that, about the very first year that I started teaching in a Sunday school class, I think we were in this text right here, and I had I told them next week, I said, we're going to have priests that are going to be coming here. And I'm sure a lot of them are... What? And we read this, we are the priest. You don't have the Levitical priest anymore. You have... Jesus Christ believers, followers who are priests. If you're a Christian, you are a priest. You offer up spiritual sacrifices. The sacrifice is Jesus Christ, but we have spiritual sacrifices to offer in this day that we live in. Now look at verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, You're a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. This is right out of the Old Testament. That's fulfilled. And Peter picks up on it and says, you're chosen. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. He has called you out of darkness. <laughs> Remember that one? Amen. To His marvelous light. We have, that's just full of just great blessings there. Great words. A royal priesthood. Royalty 
kings. We will rule and reign with Christ. He is the King of kings. We rule underneath Him. Priesthood means access to God. The priest, the high priest would be able to go into the Holy of Holies once a year to offer up the great sacrifice day of atonement. Represented taking in the sins of the people and then he'd come out and then this people would realize that that is, it was a picture really of forgiveness of sins. Every day was that picture constantly as they sacrificed the lambs and the ox bulls. Hebrews 13.15 Just a uh, book or so before this. A few pages back, maybe you could say. 13.15 says this, Through Him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. Are you praising God today? When you sing this morning, did you know, did you, know you were offering up a spiritual sacrifice? To God, that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. When you are giving thanks to God, you say, Thank you, Lord, for this day. Did you know you just offered up a spiritual sacrifice? That offering goes right to the Lord. He's honored by that. When you say thanks, it's one of the best things you can do. Because you're realizing everything you have all comes from Him. Basic 101 theology, but oh, it's so deep, isn't it? You see, the unbeliever, the atheist, will not give thanks to God. It says that in Romans 1. Those are the people that are given over to a depraved mind. What is the world thinking today? I have to think most of those minds are depraved. The doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. The next one is glory and dominion to Christ. To Him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. See, he started there right in the middle of verse 5 and goes through verse 6. That was a song, a praise to God. He just burst out. And he will continue it here. God speaks of the intrinsic value of who He is and what's in Himself. The intrinsic value of the Lord Jesus here, to Him be the glory. It's in Him. The weightiness of Him. The dominion forever and ever. He deserves our honor. He deserves our worship and our praise. Glory and dominion speaks of His essential attributes, His very being, His glory. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Your little ones, here's what I want you to get out of this today. What is the real reason that we live? Okay, there's the question. Parents, I want you to ask them later on today what is, and you know what, you might think they can't understand all of these things we're doing. Maybe not. I'll tell you what, those minds are tremendous. Those minds can understand. They have learned a English language. That's awesome. In a short amount of time. Here's what you want to ask them. 
what is the main goal of man? What is the purpose of man? Is that even even easier to understand? What is it, church? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The Westminster Confession. That's really what we are all about. That's why we live. We're here to glorify God. If we really believe that He exists, that's why we're here. There's no other reason. It's more important than that. He ought to have our lives. He ought to have dominion in His church. And eventually, He's going to have absolute control over the whole earth. He already does, but it will be seen by us. And we will understand much more. But to Revelation 1, verse 7, Behold! What does that mean? Check it out! Watch this! You can't believe it. I mean, he is just bursting out in praise and now he goes to the future. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Sorry to be so loud, but that's the way I get this out of my voice anymore and so that's what I do. I never wanted to be a screamer. He is coming. He's like the Son of Man, the Ancient of Days in Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Prophetic. And Daniel, His coming is an undeniable certainty. A major doctrine of the church of Jesus Christ. He is coming back. Without His coming, then what are we doing here? We're waiting for Him to come back. Visibly. In a glorified body. In the clouds. Acts chapter 1 verse 9. Acts 1 verse 9. We covered this a couple of weeks ago. When Christ ascended, He ascended at the Mount of Olives. He's going to come back to the Mount of Olives. Acts 1.9 says, And He said these things. He was lifted up while they were looking up and a cloud received Him out of their sight. A cloud received Him. This is not any ordinary puffy little cloud that's passing by. This is a glorious cloud. I think of uh, the Old Testament. I think of uh, Exodus. I think of the glory of God. Cloud by day, fire by night. He led them by a cloud. You want to know where to go? Watch the cloud. Matthew 24, verse 30. He's going to come in a cloud. Not an ordinary cloud, but it's saying that He's going to be in the air. 24.30 says, And then the sign, that the heavens will be shaken, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. Are you ready? Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And I can't help but think a great backdrop, absolute black, like a curtain. That's what the sky is going to be. The sky is going to be darkened so much that you can't see anything. 
as black as it can be in a cave, that's as black as it's going to be. He's going to turn out the lights. And all of a sudden, the lights come on. Jesus Christ comes back, lights up out of the eastern sky, and there's the glory of God coming back to earth. And if somebody's looking up at this, they have never seen anything like it. Ever. Well, you know what? Every eye will see Him. And that's what we see here. Even those who pierced Him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over Him. So it is to be. Amen. And we get that right out of Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. Israel will recognize who He is. But also the nations will recognize this is Christ. They can use all of the kind of philosophies that we have today. Well, that was, you saw him as that, but I saw that as whatever, right? That's not really Jesus. It's, you know, or I don't, I don't even see it. No. Every eye will see. Everyone will know. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. Not at this time. That bunch of garbage is done. It's over. Finally, truth will prevail and we'll see it all the time. Every time. No sin present where we're going to be. And it's always truth. I'm I'm tired of errors, fake news, false reportings. I hate it. Do you know what? It's okay. It's just exposing for us to see how evil mankind can be. And sometimes our hearts expose to us how evil we can be. The antidote is always Christ. Last verse. This is it. I promise. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. Store we used to have here in Jeff City. The Alpha and the Omega. Alpha and Omega. That was the Christian bookstore. I speak highly of it. A lot of good people came in that store. Most of you guys came into that store. That's and sometimes that's how I met you. <laughs> I didn't name it. It was already that way when we got blessed to take it over. It's a good name, isn't it? Change of speaker right here to finish with. I am. Let's take you back to Moses, Exodus 3. Moses says, Who can I say who sent? Who are you? Well, I don't understand. I am. That is Yahweh. That's the self existent one. I am the Alpha and the Omega. First and last letter of the Greek alphabet. The first letter is Alpha. Last letter is Omega. In the English, it's A to Z, if you want to put it that way. We understand that. There are 26 letters in the English alphabet. And you can take and take every one of those letters and it is an ingenious mechanism where you can take those letters and we can store and we can communicate our language and everything as far as knowledge is concerned to human beings and we can put it all in just 26 letters. It's from beginning to end here. 
what this is speaking of is that Jesus Christ is not only the beginning and the ending, but He is the supreme, sovereign, divine alphabet. He has all the letters. He is the wisdom, the understanding, all of it with perfect knowledge. All knowledge. And that's why he's called at the end of verse here, at the end of this section, the Almighty. The El Shaddai. The Omnipotent God. The book of the Revelation, catch this, is the consummation of all things by the Alpha and Omega. Who is Alpha and Omega? Jesus Christ. If you were to ask a Jehovah's Witness today, who is Alpha and Omega? And they would say, well, He's the Almighty. And you would say, absolutely correct. Jesus is the Almighty. Who's the Alpha and Omega? At the back of Revelation, I, Jesus, testify to you these things. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus is the Almighty. They don't believe that Jesus is the Almighty. There's only one God, and they say it's God, God the Father. Jesus is not on the same basis as God. That says a lot, doesn't it? There's only one God, but there's a triune God, and each one of the Trinity is God. Look what we have just seen this morning. A blessing coming from the Trinity. And Jesus is the Almighty. He's not a God. He is the God, as John 1.1 says. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was not a God, but God. And in that, it's all, the article, definite article, is the. He is the God, not a God. A God means there's other gods. So, if you confront anyone that would debate who Christ is, that's the place to go, to the first and the last. The first chapter of Revelation, the last chapter of Revelation, and you'll see Jesus identifying Himself. We call that the first and the last. The Alpha and Omega. It's a way to confront. It's a cult. It's all in Him. He is the total message of the book. The revelation of the truth that God wants man to know. He's the sum total of all God's revelation to mankind. I close with this. William McDonald's put it well. The one He is who spans time and eternity and exhausts the vocabulary of excellence. He is the source and the goal of creation. And it is He who began and will end the divine program in the world. He is the Almighty. Even so, come Lord Jesus. I invite you, do not miss part three of our study of Revelation. Next week is the vision of the glorified Lord. Let's pray. Father, great holy God, Thank You for Your Word. It is truth. May it make an impact on us like it never has before. May we see Christ high and lifted up, exalted, holy, 
is the triune God. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen.